Fitness Pro Mentors community, welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm really excited. Listen, the Fitness Pro Mentors is all about helping trainers like you 2 to 3x their business. But today, we've got a brilliant educator, a good friend, and someone who just turned his back to me right off the beginning. You're watching the live. What the heck? <laughs> Joe DeAntonis. Joe, how are you, man? I'm fantastic, Brent. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing really good. So anyone who's checking this out, if you have not heard of Joe, you're completely insane. We did a previous episode with him about six months ago that you have to go back and check out. Fitnessstable.com, Move Integrated in Pittsburgh. Check them out. But we're not going to do an intro because, Joe, you're awesome. Let's jump right into it, man. Fascia. Let's do what it. the fascia? <laughs> so this is great. What's really interesting is, you know, we're seeing a lot of, of things about fascia anymore, right? In, in the training world, it used to be like in the massage world, right? And then all of a sudden it just kind of just melted over into the training industry. <clears throat> I don't know, maybe almost 15 years ago now, probably. And uh, it's, it's really picked up its pace there. And what's really funny is when you talk to people about what fascia is, most people don't even have the, the slightest inkling of an idea of what, how encompassing the fascial system is and what exactly the tissue is and all that kind of thing. So yeah, this will be, this will be a fun, uh, you know, fun way into it to kind of learn more about it, what it is, why we, why we worry about it, you know, why should we do anything with it or should we do anything with it? <laughs> well, I think that that's the thing. And I think that you're kind of nailing it is I've heard it in two ways. Like people either have no idea what fascia is and it's not even on the radar or it's the panacea and it is the one thing that fixes all things. It's the one ring to all anatomy and it's like, oh, it's the secret. And so, uh, you know, I mean, let's, let's just start like really, really broad. I mean, if you're thinking satellite view about fascia, Joe, do you think about fascia in your day to day when you're working with clients? Oh yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's an integral part of everything because here's the thing what we have to understand is the fascial system is throughout the entire body, right? So if we're working with muscles, if we're doing anything, we're trying to stress bone, we're trying to stress a muscle, we're trying to uh, look at any other, other soft tissue, they're all fascia, right? Bone is part of the fascial system, right? So um, we used to teach it in one of the workshops and I still kind of bring it up periodically, but uh, you look at uh, areas like say, uh, when you look at bone, right? If you take a, a, a bone and you put it in vinegar and let it sit for a couple of weeks, the vinegar, the acidity of the vinegar will eat away at all the, the minerals, right? All the, the calcium salts, all that kind of stuff. And all you'll have left is the fascial system portion of the bone, right? So you can make what they you know, call them like science projects or they call them rubber bones or whatever, right? So you, you take this uh, chicken bone, throw it in vinegar and in three weeks or whatever, you, you play around with it. You can bend it, twist it, turn it, it still has the same exact shape that it had when the minerals were there. It just doesn't have the structural stability of that, of those minerals making it rigid anymore. Right? So like when you look at the trabeculae in a, in a, uh, of the bone and like a, uh, x-ray kind of thing where you can see the, the fibers running through it, that's the fascial system, right? The minerals fill in the gaps between that and make it rigid. But those, those lines where you see the lines of stress going through that, that's where the fascial system is running through there. The, that fiber is going through there, right? And with, with muscle, right? We talk about, <clears throat> if anybody studied any kind of muscle physiology, right? You have the, the three layers of fascia around each muscle, right? You have the, the endomesium, the paramecium, and the epimecium, right? And we, we study those three layers of fascia. And, and those layers of fascia continue beyond the contractile part of the muscle, right? 
And so, you know, you have this, uh, this contractile tissue that we call muscle fibers embedded inside of this whole fascial system thing. And, um, and so uh, when we look at a muscle, a muscle it has a ton of fascia uh, embedded throughout it, right? And the, you know, like a lot of times the muscle fibers themselves don't necessarily attach to the bone but the the fascial covering that went over it will actually attach and embed itself into the bone and, and again when we, we look at different types of muscle ruptures right we have a uh we have a, a, a musculotendinous junction tear right which is basically where where the muscle fibers a, a huge portion of the muscle fibers kind of stop and the fascia continues on beyond that you'll get a, you'll get a rupture there but the 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 other type of muscle tear is what we call an avulsion fracture so an avulsion fracture is not where the tendon rips from the bone. The tendon actually pulls a chunk of bone with it because the, because the fascial system is so well embedded into the bone, it's part of the bone. So when it, it doesn't pull off of the bone, it pulls bone with it, right? So that's how well embedded that fascial system is into the bone and, and how well embedded it is into the muscle, right? So all of these things, you know, ligaments, um, are also fascia, right? So, yeah. so, you know, when we think of the fascial system, it, it's, it's all the things that we're working with anyway. Um, you know, so yeah, you have to have it on your mind when you're working with, uh, you know, with people. So, I mean, anyone who's listening to this, you, know, you have to check out Joe D'Anton. This is Cadaver Labs, which we're going to talk about at the very end, because he's got a good series coming up. And I would say that when I came out for the first time, that was a reframing for me with you, because I, like everyone, even through Tom Purvis, and I wouldn't say it's his fault, but I always thought of things like we have a ligament and this ligament's attached to a bone and there's a tendon that's attached to a muscle. And we've got fascia. And I thought of it like a sandwich that it was all stacked together, but they were individual pieces. But it was the way that you exposed it and showed it with cadaver labs to really show that it was really a confluence of all things connecting and melting together. And there was just a different quality to the tissue, but it was really all one thing, but not one thing, which blew my freaking mind. Because when you take that idea of like anatomy trains and they try to like connect specific muscles together, okay, we can connect some muscles together, but truth be told, that fascia literally connects stuff from that big toe on the left side to the finger on the right side. And it's just like nuts. It's just nuts. Yeah, yeah. And so Thomas Myers, you know, his, his anatomy trains work is one of the things that got me thinking on those lines. And so, I, but I was reading his stuff and it was really interesting because, you know, with anatomy trains, he picks out, you know, like, oh, there's these certain trains, you have to be on the same track and all this kind of stuff. So a superficial muscle can only be on the same uh, you know, train as, a, as another superficial muscle. And then those, those become, a, you know, a, an anatomy, you know, anatomy train. But when you look at it from a mechanic standpoint, it doesn't matter if it's superficial, intermediate, deep layers. I mean, there, there might be one part of the body where there's three layers, another part where there's seven. You know, so it, it doesn't matter how deep of a layer, how superficial of a layer your tissue's in. If it's tugging on the fascial system that the other one's connected to, it's going to have an, a mechanical effect on it. <clears throat> right. So it, it's, it's not about, you know, like when, when anatomy trains did it. It was like, okay, this is connected to this and this is connected to that. And he even broke his own rules a lot of times. It was like things weren't connected, but he would say they were connected. You know, it's like, oh, well, but, so he, but he was trying to use mechanics. But so when you really look at it with a mechanics eye, then you, you can really see that when tension is put on one portion of the fascial system, um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have a, a mechanical effect up a whole chain of tissue. 
and, and it can go a number of different ways, right? But you, you have to be able to, you know, look at the fiber direction and, and see where, where that could be, that force could be transmitted. And, and this is the crazy part is, you know, uh, there, you know, there's guys out there, you know, like John Barnes and, and things like that, where they'll, they'll do, you know, uh, films of like living tissue and they'll say, you know, all the fibers move and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, well, yeah, that, that's, there's certain types of fascial tissue that's, um, that's not really, um, connected to things the same way as is the the structural fascial system right so the structural fascial system all has specific fiber directions all based on force application right so when you look at <clears throat> something like the it band right the it band isn't an entity like when you go into anatomy you don't you don't dissect the leg and open up this you know, the latter aspect of the thigh and go oh here's the it band you don't see it it's not there there's not an it band the IT band is a theoretical portion of the fascia lata, right? And I say theoretical in the sense that it's it's there, it's physically there, but it, it's it, so when you because the only but the only reason it exists is because of the tension that's created by specific muscles tugging on the fascia lata, right? To create that vertical line of fibers, you know, uh, on the uh, on the outer thigh there in in that in that portion of the fascia lata because the fascia lata wraps around most of the thigh right yeah. and if you look at if you follow where the glute attaches into the fascia lata you'll see diagonal fibers around your thigh in 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 the direction of the of the glute uh, fiber directions right or the glute 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 muscle fiber directions and if you look where the tensor fascia lata attaches in you'll see diagonal fibers where it goes but where those two converge and they create a resultant vertically right then that's where you see the the vertical fibers show up for the it band you know what we call the it band i love <clears> you know i remember you ever since you shared that with me i've been trying to find a way to explain it to clients because i have even today i had a guy come in he's yeah. like my it band's tight and i had to get into that whole thing and I, I think the easiest way to envision it is like if you have a sausage casing that's a plastic bag and you were to really pull hard on the ends of the plastic bag hard that plastic bag even though it's see-through you'll get to the plastic end and it'll create that white line between your two fingers and it's like it band huzzah you know? <laughs> but it's exactly it's funny because we have that isolationist view of IT band fascia and even through some of the muscle, you know, you and I took some very similar anatomy muscle courses and, and there was even there, you know, a broad view and we not need to work on all the muscles. But we start by looking at individual muscles, but it's so hard because they're so interconnected that how could you ever possibly say that this exercise is for vastus medialis? Because as soon as it contracts, because of local mechanical reasons and the wrapping of the fascia, it pulls on all of it, which makes it insane but also leads into the interesting question of therapists and people who are really into fascial corrective work, fascial stretch work. It is the panacea. It is the one size that fits all. I mean, if your opinion, I mean, actually I shouldn't even say that in your research, how the heck did people get there and how does this blown up so much? Well, I, th I think part of it, th there's a couple of big pieces of that. Number one, um, <clears throat> the way mechanics is taught in our industry is horrific right we we don't learn real mechanics right so we take a kinesiology class and we take a, a biomechanics class right that kind of thing and we don't really learn i mean if, if you showed some of the biomechanics textbooks to an engineer 
they would be like, what is this? Because I've done it. <laughs> and they're like, how did they come up with this weird stuff? You know? and because they're making, there's formulas in the engineering world that exist for all this stuff. Um, but unfortunately, physiologists and, and people who were studying biomechanics who didn't really understand true mechanics, you know, like uh, statics and dynamics, which are the engineering fields that, that you know, create this, you know, mechanics thing. <clears throat> and the, people that don't understand that, those, the, the terminology and the principles and all that kind of stuff, right? They look at the human body and they're like, well, it's different than that. And, 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 and then they want to come up with a reason why it's different. And because they, they don't, because it's not like a, a pin centered axis, right? So they think, well, it's not a pin centered axis or so a joint doesn't work the way joint on a, on a machine would work. And you're like, no, th there's formulas because in the real world, there's other axes that are more similar to like our joints and stuff like that. And engineers have figured out how to create a formula that will show you the mechanics of how that system works as well. And, and unfortunately, when you don't study <clears throat> statics and dynamics and, and more intensely into those, those fields, then they, they just start making stuff up. Right. And so when they started bringing fascia into it they now they don't understand joint mechanics very well they don't understand muscle mechanics very well and now they're trying to talk about fascia because when 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 your work when you think you understand muscles and you think you understand joints and everything that you do doesn't fix the person or help them be better then you start searching for other things and so I think that's where this fascial thing came in. They're like, oh, well, it must be the fascia thing then. And that's why this is tight. And, and we got to release that and loosen this. And, and the reality is if you got each joint moving better by looking at each individual muscle and making sure that they're doing what they're supposed to do, most of it would probably get better because when you're doing that, you're also addressing the fascial system. Yeah, it's... it's <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that's what... So I, I think you may know this. I, I wrote, I made a one day course on post-activation potentiation, and it was a summation of what I learned from McMillan that challenged my methodology around manual muscle testing. And one of the things that I talk about in there is how absolutely impossible it is to ever say that one of these pushes that we're doing for creating contraction conditioning stimulus can work on one muscle because that's insane. But then you take that and you yeah. add fascia and skin and everything in between the sensory somatic and the sensory response of every single one of those tissues are all happening concurrently. And I, I, I don't understand, I don't, how we got so far that someone goes, this is the fact, this is, when I do this, this is for fascia. I don't, and I don't know how that happened. The skin's not involved, it's fine. The hairs don't notice anything. There's no changes in mechanics. You know, it's, it's good, it's just fascia. And I, I just don't, yeah. I don't get that. So you've spent a lot of time exploring this. And I'm wondering, mm -hmm. Were you just passionate about fascia or was this kind of out of a need from conversations you were having with massage students? Well, yeah. So I do a lot of workshops for massage students, right? So I, I have a, um, I have kind of a uh, little bit of a connection with the Pittsburgh school of massage therapy. And yeah, so they do workshops every year and, and just because of the nature of anatomy workshops, I get massage therapists to, to come and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and, you know, there's a lot of things that come up about trigger points and there's a lot of things that come up about, um, you know, uh, fascial release and fascial stretching and all these different things. So, and they would come up with these 
you know, these theories that they've heard from other people. And, and this is, you know, they learned, they took an entire class on it. And here's, uh, you know, here's what they said, and here's why it's doing this. And I'm like, and most of it, and again, I, I'm not going to deny or um, denounce that any of these uh, methodologies work or don't work, right? Um, you know, there, there's all kinds of, of modalities that we do that people see good results from. Um, but the problem I have is that the description that they use of why it's working, right? And and so a lot of times that's that's what I, I would say. They would say, well, they, because the fascia the fascia does this. That's why when we do this technique, it works. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to say your technique doesn't work, but I'm definitely going to say that the reason they're using that you're saying it's working it can't happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they would have these like really weird descriptions of what was supposed to be going on, which would like be physiologically or, or mechanically impossible, right? Very implausible. And so I was like, ah, oh, that doesn't make so then I started exploring a lot of these techniques and and the descriptions about what they're saying they're doing and all that kind of thing. <clears throat> and so I mean basically what I've come down to is <clears throat> is you know all these things are connected. Um it, it, you know, like you said, you're, you're trying to work on one thing. You're trying to rub this one spot and, and stimulate the fascia or release the fascia or whatever it is. And it's like, you know, how do you know which one you're doing? You know, like, are you, are you releasing it and trying to get it to shut down? Are you stimulating, trying to get it to contract more, you know, and, and we can't really judge which one, you know, I mean, we could, we can do, you know, BMG testing and see if it's something fires more or whatever, that kind of thing. But, but even then, you, you know, we all know there's a million ways that you can screw that up too, measuring those <laughs> things, you know, so, you know, so it, you're not really going to get a good read. So, it, uh, it, you know, I just, I figured, you know, I, I just wanted to learn as much about it neutrally as I could so that I could just explain, and I don't really promote a technique or a style or anything per se so much, um, as I, I try to just ex express the information from as neutral standpoint as I can saying, okay, this is from reading uh, enough research on this, these seem to be the things that everybody agrees on, you know? And, you know, it was like when, when I did my, uh, uh, my research paper for my grad program, my, my master's degree, <clears throat> I did it on, you know, like active versus passive stretching. And it was really, it was really interesting because in all the passive stretching research articles, everyone agreed that when you passively stretch a muscle, it, shuts down the nervous system messaging, right? <clears throat> and everybody agreed that um, when the joint stiffness was reduced at a joint, you had less stability there, right? Joint stiffness, mean, I mean you got the biomechanical sense, right? Not like, oh, I got a stiff neck, right? We, we know what we're talking about, but for the people that don't understand what, so joint stiffness is just a biomechanical term that means when um, there's the, uh, the tissue around it, like the, the contractile tissue around the joint is stabilizing, contracting. Um, when it's contracting more, it creates more joint stiffness, which creates more stability, right? So basically, the, everybody agreed that, that reduced joint stiffness led to joint instability. Everybody agreed that um, stretching muscles reduced neural messaging to the muscle that was passively stretched. Everybody agreed that when a muscle is has reduction in neural activity, it reduces joint stiffness, right? But they never put all three of those together, right? So they didn't say, oh, if I stretch a muscle, it reduces the neural activity to it, that's going to reduce joint stiffness, which in turn is going to create joint instability, right? And th th so they would agree on all the, everyone 
they did all this research, agreed on all those pieces. They just never put them together. So when I put them together in my in my project for my master's degree, my professor was like, well, but I, I mean, the questions I my paper, I was just like, did you even read my paper? You know, <laughs> and and it, and it was because like the one article was like they, they only stretched one side, like they took sprinters and only stretched one hamstring and didn't stretch the other. And and I was, you know, I made this comment about, you know, like why, how that would number one, throw the gate off and all that kind of stuff, too. And then the guy was he just wrote on his comment was like, why didn't they stretch both sides? And I'm just like. Why did they stretch you either? Why did you? It was like, did you read anything I wrote? You know, and it was just so. But, but people don't. They they put their blinders on and they believe the couple things that they learn. They don't want to open their mind to learning new information. And when you put pieces together like that, even when it seems to be laid out, they still like push back against it. You know, so it, it's been a it's been a twenty year battle of trying to get people to. <laughs> 20 years. Oh my God. There's a, there's a great quote that I heard that's been like on my mind and it, I, it stands out so much, but it's that we will challenge all of our beliefs except for the ones we truly believe those will hold closest. And I find that with academics and exercise land, right? Cause they're all like, we're open-minded. We'll try anything. And then you get to one thing and they're like, no, no, that's squats are the best. Um, but it's interesting because that whole stretch thing with the down regulation of force output, we've got this little bit in the potentiation course where I literally have a dynamometer and I have someone that goes into horizontal end range, active supine, horizontal, adduction, apply force, maximal voluntary isometric contraction. We get a number, say it's 20 LBF. We do it 60 seconds later, it goes up to 27, 28. And I say, okay, great, go stretch it. They go stretch it. They come back and do a maximal voluntary isometric contraction again, and it drops below the 20 to like 16 LBF. And then like, what happens? What do I do? And I say, just wait a second. They do a fourth one from doing the contraction and then it goes back up to the 28. And they're like, what is going on? And it's really cool because, I mean, I, I've lost the sense of trying to explain what's actually happening. Like I like potentiation as a broad blanket, but at the end of the day, you have all these things working together to make force production more optimal. And it's super cool. And on that note, you, which was uh, coming back to you, and I want to get more into practical application of thinking of fascia, Despite all yeah. of your learnings, despite of all of the hands-on techniques that you've learned and been involved with, your primary mode as, like I would say, a professional career trainer is exercise, which I think is sick. Mm -hmm. And you're a clear testament that you can make a full career using exercise with these thought processes and understanding the stuff around fascia. So, I mean, with all of your infinite wisdom and lack of mustache, Joe... <laughs> Why is it that exercise is your primary vehicle and you've abandoned many of the hands-on techniques that you've become aware of through massage and other techniques? Well, and a lot of it's like you were talking about before. I mean, we know that, you know, when you're poking, you know, it's like, uh, who was it? It was Chris Graney at one point. It was, he was talking about like a, like a Wendy's hamburger or whatever, and you got the bun and the tomato and the burger and the lettuce, and, and you push down here, and you're hoping you're only going to squish the lettuce, right? And it's like, it, no, you, you squish in the bun, the, everything in between, right? <clears throat> and so it, it's, when you're doing some of these techniques, I mean, not that you can't see benefit from, and I still use some, you know, I, I still, <clears throat> I still use them periodically, and, but I'm always reinforcing with backup, you know, isometrics, you know, um, planned movement, you know, like, you know, the small increment range of motion to larger increment range of motion, that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, you know, isometric holds and, 
different things like that because you're in and very specific load application right you're applying a force in a very specific direction to try to affect a specific tissue or a specific portion of a tissue right you won't think about you know i, I think at us as as you know people that have studied some of the things that we've done through you know you know rts versus whatever <clears throat> um you know we we have a, a good understanding of when you apply force in a specific direction you might be hitting you know a portion of one muscle not the whole muscle or you know that kind of thing and if you change the angle slightly you hit a different portion of it right and so you know by doing those things like applying exercise methodically and <clears throat> in, in that manner right now in and then by you know, assessing where the range of motion is and and how what the comfort levels are in each each position as a change in range of motion goes further does it get less comfortable or does it stay about the same or you know so using uh, a lot of, of output and feedback from the client <clears throat> as well as you know thinking through what you're doing and why you're doing it based on the way you're loading the force you know the, the direction the angle the you know all, all kinds of stuff the you know changing torques and changing you know <laughs> i mean there's so many pieces to it and but it, it's you know exercise becomes movement it becomes the final goal for most people anyway right they want to get back to doing stuff and you know i i can you know i, I remember working on a couple of the steelers and and they, they would come in for you know muscle work or whatever and they just lay on the table and i'd be like okay i'm gonna need you to push this way and push it and they're like yeah, I, I thought I was going to get to lay here. And I'm like, no, this is an active session. Like this isn't, I'm not your massage therapist. This is going to poke on a bunch of stuff and hope to release the right things and not release the wrong things and send you back on the field and hope for the best. Right. I'm going to, I'm specifically trying to get you to move a specific way better, more efficiently. And, and that's going to include you having to put some effort into it. You know? <laughs> that reminds me, I had I had a CFL guy that I got to work with one time. It was super cool. I was super excited, super jacked up. And he goes into my, onto my table. I go to the bathroom. I come out. He's laying in his underwear, like completely everything off except for his underwear. And he's like, okay, so I'm ready. And I'm like, ah, uh, this is more of an active process. We're going to be contracting. Do you mind throwing your, he goes, oh, you know what? I think I'd like you to see what, what's working. And I'm like, okay. Anyway, <laughs> we did one session like that and I'll never do it again. It was a bad scene. It was a bad scene. Yeah. So yeah. on this fashion note, I had a couple student questions and Sophia Lee, she asked, why, what is fashion? Why should people care so much about it? I think we've talked about it. There's going to be more about that. Keith Shimon, who you probably know, yeah. he said, why does this yeah. picture look like he wants to fight me? No, seriously, what information? The exact, it's a sick picture. I love it. I wish I had, I wish I was like a fighter because I would do, but I can't. I, I mean, I don't, I'm not, I'm a poser. Seriously. <laughs> What information sensors does fascia hold and transmit? So that's a broad question, but what information and sensors does fascia hold and transmit? Yeah. So this is a, there's, there's some really interesting information out there. So, okay. So one of the things um, is people talk about the, the contractile uh, component of fascia, right? And you'll hear people talk about that. And I've read all the research on that. I have it all. It's on my computer right over here. It's everything I could find on it. Yeah, I mean, I've got Schleep, who's like supposedly the main guy that does all those things, right? And it's all really, how do you put it? It's, it's, it's not, there's nothing definitive in there. I mean, everything is kind of like, mm, we're making a lot of inferences and we're, you know, and, in all honesty, like, so, so let's say I'm dissecting a specimen and I know there's uh, like 
So say a muscle like pyramidalis, right? Small, uh, pretty small muscle, superficial, very superficial. Um, I've come across quite a few specimens that only have one side of pyramidalis. Um, but they'll have fascial tissue almost every single time where the pyramidalis should have been. And so I wonder, you know, in, in my brain, I'm going, okay, well, did that, was that muscle just shut down? Did they rupture it? And maybe the nerve system got cut off to it and it just atrophied. And now there's just some fascial tissue there, right? <clears throat> or did they never have one? Were they born without it? You know, I don't know. And you'll never really know, but it's just weird things to think about. But, but so, but then people say, okay, well, there's a, um, <clears throat> you know, there's some contractile uh, component to fascia. And they've never, again, they've never really proven it. There was some, some weird inferences in the, in the sleep materials and, and all that. But, but it was like, um, none of it was definitive. It was pretty, it was pretty loose information. And <clears throat> I got to say, it, it, you know, because if there, if I looked at that, that fascial tissue that of that pyramidalis, it was atrophy, but the fascia is still there. If I looked at that under a, a microscope, I might, maybe I would have seen some muscle type tissue in there, right? Because it used to be a muscle, right? And, and so, you know, things like that make me wonder because the places where they found the contractile tissue was potentially, it, because it did, there wasn't a lot of description in those research articles. They didn't, it wasn't uh, descriptive enough where you could tell exactly where they were talking about and, you know, that kind of thing. So <clears throat> all I could do is make inferences based on the information they gave me and it was kind of like okay well maybe maybe there was an atrophied muscle that they thought was just fascial tissue and that's where they saw some contractile thing i don't know but the, but even then it was still kind of like <clears throat> but now what another really interesting one though is the uh there's there's a theory that the fascial system is like a fiber optic system right and this one's really interesting so um, apparently certain tissues, like when, when, when you, you know, it's like, do you ever, um, do you ever use a, a cup with the string in between and you talk to your buddy and then and the neighbor next door, right? And you like, you have, but you have to put tension in the string, right? And when there's tension in it, when you talk, the vibration will go down the string and then they can kind of hear you. It's, it's hear you is kind of a, <laughs> but I mean, sometimes if you do it right, right. And you get the left tension in there and right kind of cups and everything, you can kind of hear each other. Right. <clears throat> but, but, but you get the idea, like if you have tension in that string and I send a vibration down it, then you may get the communication there. Right. And so <clears throat> what they're saying is if there's proper tension in the fascial system and, um, and say I roll my ankle, <clears throat> There's, they've done some stuff where they, they put sensors in the, in the brain. Um, they, they, you know, measured, I don't know if they did it with EEG. I can't remember. I'm trying to think now how they did it. Um, it's been a while since I looked at this one, but they, they put sensors in the brain and um, they could tell when the neural message came through. But before the neural message came through, there was another message that came through and they were insinuating that that was the fascial system sending a message through this chain of tissue. <clears throat> but the, the problem is what they started finding with that is like, um, if it like, so I roll my ankle and if I have something unstable in my knee or my hip and the fascia isn't tight through that area, that message is going to get distorted or not going to get sent the right way. Right. So, so everything it seemed like, according to what they were saying, everything had to be working optimally for this system to be functioning optimally. Right. 
and and so like if i if if i put tension through that and that message is going to send up through back to my brain so that something something can get back down there to re readjust my ankle so it's in the right place or whatever <clears throat> that oh, the whole system would have to be working optimally for that to happen but it, it's kind of a neat theory it's interesting there was some some kind of cool pieces to that yeah it was pretty wild and um <clears throat> but it, it seemed like it was more like they called it fiber optics and and uh, i mean, there's a couple people that talk about it and they were like well you know it's like it moves like at the speed of light and i'm like well i I don't know that we'd even be able to measure that in the body. Like if something that went from your, my ankle to my brain that fast, I don't, you know, if it's going the speed of light, that's, I don't know if we have anything to even measure that fast, you know? <laughs> and, uh, so, you know, but, but, but now like a vibration, maybe like through the string, right. Yeah. I, I could see something like that and that makes more sense. And, and that would make more sense with tension. Like we're talking about from mechanical sense, the mechanical tension that's put through that tissue that's transmitted up an entire chain. Right, that would make sense to me more so than like a you know a, a light being shined through you know in the cinematic light. But <clears throat> I think the reason they came up with the fiber optics, I think it was a John Barnes thing again, where he he took a, a no no it was a, it was a um, no I'm sorry John Barnes was talking about it, but there was a neurosurgeon that um, uh, what was his name? It was an Italian guy, I think. Um, Got to start with the G. G. Um, but yeah yeah hey, forget about it. <laughs> but uh i think his name started with the g it was like you know like gambetti or something whatever but but he he was a neurosurgeon i think and he he took his scope and shined it like under the fascia in a, in a during a surgery like during a living like for a living specimen right and he videotaped it um through the scope and and it was kind of cool looking and it was kind of neat and then of course everybody like ran with it like oh this means this and you're like oh, i don't know that it means anything other than he shined a light on the fascia and you know <laughs> but but anyway it was yeah <clears throat> the body's messed up man i mean it's funny listening to you talk about it you hear everyone talk about everything being the best thing and then also being the worst thing at the same time and the number of things that could go wrong <clears throat> that could influence your body and change locomotion. Like you have a scab and it creates an inhibitory response and everything goes weak in that area from the skin. Your fascia gets pinched in your ankle because there's not enough tension going through it. Down, you're going down. You got material damage in your meniscus, going down. Ligament tear. And it's just like a series of ridiculous, super important systems that all have to work concurrently together. And I would say that what I love about your perspective with the fascia stuff is, I again, I've heard it like a panacea. And it's not. Yeah. But it's also really important to understand because I don't know, and I would love to hear what you think about this. In my opinion, understanding fascia doesn't change my day-to-day -day thought process with a client in a big way. But it helps me to recognize that when I do something in this plane on this ankle, it could affect a lot more stuff. Both from the muscle yes. connection end, the nerve end, the fascial end, the sensory skin end. It's all together. And we have to just recognize that it's there. But it's not the thing it's just a thing you know i don't know what do you think yeah no no i i totally agree um it's uh yeah yeah it's i i don't know that anybody should change their you know mode of of uh operations based on learning more about fascia but like you said what it does is in the back of your mind you're going okay what where it's going well like you know he's like when i started doing the muscle activation stuff right <clears throat> and we're you know poking on specific uh att muscle attachment points and all that kind of stuff 
some weird things happen to some people, whatever, you know. And I remember one of the things I did was I got the reflexology charts out and was looking at the, the bottom of the feet and, you know, that and looking at like, okay, I was, I was like basically uh, overlaid a, a map of the, of the foot and where all the muscle attachments of the foot are with the reflexology chart, right? To see, you know, like, okay, is this muscle potentially connected to this organ or, you know, you know, that kind of stuff. And so just keeping your mind open to things like that, because I mean, I know people that go to reflexology regularly and swear by it and it helps them with their digestion or whatever they're working on. Right. And, and it's all kind of cool. Is it placebo? Is it real? It doesn't really matter if it's helping them. Right. And it was the whole thing, like any, any modality that you're using, you know, as long as you're not hurting people and um, they're seeing a potential benefit from it, you know, I think we're doing okay. And, and it, as long as we're being respectful to the body and we're respectful to the systems of the body, I, I think I got to get a charger here. I think my battery is going to die. <laughs> John. No problem. You grab we're, your charger. Is John there? He's here. Yeah. Hey, can you get a charger for me? If anyone's Sorry listening to this on the podcast, we're doing this live with Joe D'Antonis. So he's at Move Integrate. He's got his partner, uh, John, there. And he's a wizard. We're going to have him on because he's an entrepreneurial marketing machine. So that is what we're dealing with right now. Is he right there? He's right here. Yeah. Here, come John. say hi. <laughs> John, come say hi on the podcast. Yo. Oh, hey there, John. How's it going? Ooh, I love talking. All right. How are you? I can do it. Excellent. Yeah. John, we talked. We got to have you on the podcast there, sir. I want to talk to you about your marketing entrepreneurial brain. You're a wizard. I love you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, let's do it. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll throw it down. I changed my number and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get to let you know about that, but uh, I'll have Joe give it to you. No problem. When we're off, you send me your number. That'll be great. All right, sir. I'm going to get a charger from. Hold on. Let's thank see. you, John. So everyone, if you're listening to this right now, I mean, as you can tell, uh, Joe's got a, a, a large amount of wisdom all around the fascia. And I think that you should definitely spend some time learning a little bit more about it. Because the more you can learn about each individual piece within the system, the skeletal muscle, the ligaments, the tendons, the fascia, whatever it is, it can all concurrently help with your thought process. Joe also, and I'll bring this up in a second, he spent a lot of time studying mechanics, engineering background, and studied with Tom Purvis through the RTS program. And all of that creates a really unique thought process stacked on top of this fascia info. Anyway, I got Joe back now. Can you hear me, sir? <laughs> yes, I'm back. I'm back. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Here, we're going to do this. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a, uh, let's just bring it down here. Move this over here. There we go. Move integrated physical culture. Perfect marketing <laughs> shot right there. Yeah, perfect. look at that. Look at that. Perfect, huh? How about that? that? Absolutely perfect. Worked, worked out cool. amazing. <laughs> What's this going on here with this thing? Oh, there we go. Okay. All so, right. Oops. Joe, I want to ask you. I mean, there's actually a great question from Lucy Dabrowski, who you know very well. Yeah, oh, yeah, Lucy. And actually, Lucy. Shout out. She is actually working here now, which I'm super excited about. She's a freaking wizard. Um, yes. But she asked a great question, and I think it's a cool one because we've been talking about fascia at kind of like a different level, you know, kind of like breaking things down the mechanics a bit. She asked, how do you explain fascia to clients, and how do you explain fascial stretching to clients? So, like, if you're speaking client language, how would you go about doing this? <clears throat> yeah, so, I, you know, we, we do – we try to do a lot of teaching 
to our clients, right? So we, we do explain a lot of this stuff <clears throat> um, to them. But the fascial stuff, I don't necessarily explain fascia as much as I talk more in sense of muscles because people are more familiar with that, right? And because the fascial system is so integrated with the muscular system, right? Well, um, when we, uh, when I talk about what we're working on and what we're trying to do, it's, it's typically muscle related because that, they relate better to that. And so even if I know, you know, in my head, it's, there's this kind of fascial connection between these muscles, I'll talk about, you know, like how this muscle connects to that muscle mechanically. And, and we're trying to train this, this chain, this tissue chain. And um, it's basically like a, a, a muscle chain more so than it's like a, a fascial thing, right? <clears throat> Even though the fascial system is highly integrated with that. It, it's, I, I don't, it, because it, they, you know, most of them don't. And now if it's like a, uh, somebody who's really interested in it or really, um, yeah, just kind of wants to nerd out with me on it, which I have a few clients like that, you know, some physicians that like just kind of get into it and they're like, man, I didn't even know you're like, like, they don't even know. Like I have surgeons and, um, I mean, I mean, one of my, what is, is kind of funny, like two of my famous clients I've had, I had a, um, uh, Peter Janetta, who was a world renowned neurosurgeon, um, that had a stroke. Um, he, he was coming to me for quite some time and I was helping him kind of, you know, try to just get some movement and some, uh, uh, you know, function back after a stroke and what, you know, cause what I've seen with stroke patients a lot of times is, you know, the, the stroke shuts down a certain area. And of course there's the muscles that, that are, you know, cut off based on the, the part of the, the brain that was affected by the stroke, right. They're never going to get function back in those muscles. But what ends up happening is there's. Ex excessive torque at the joints where those muscles control motion at, right? So what ends up happening is that other muscles at those joints start to shut down because, you know, they, they're just taking too much load over time. So when we start working on movement at those joints and the, the stimulation starts to come back to the muscles still have function and they start moving better. You know, so they, you know, so like, uh, like guys like him, who's a neurosurgeon, right? He was, he loved it. Like we would nerd out on it, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And then um, Freddie Fu, who was the orthopedic surgeon for the Steelers, um, he was a client of mine as well. And he would, he, he would just go, he would be like, I'd rather go to you than Pete. It, you know, he, he oversaw all the physical therapy at UPMC, you know, at university of Pittsburgh sports, uh, sports medicine. And, um, and he would come to me <laughs> when he jacked something up and it was, just, it was great. I'm like, really? Like, I'm just, so, but you know, that's the kind of thing. It's just funny. <clears throat> but, um, again, so we would nerd out about that kind of stuff. But, and I have a couple other clients that just, they just want to do it. And, and I've had quite a few clients come to my anatomy workshop because they just want to learn more about how their body functions. But, but for the most part, I mostly just talk about muscles to my clients. Okay. I got a super <clears throat> random question for you. It's something that I've thought about quite a bit. It's not fascia related, but it sort of is. It's actually more of an ethics question. And I want to just get your thoughts on it. Cause you said something twice that got me thinking there is hundreds of thousands of people in our in a pseudo holistic world that between personal training and physical therapy that say that they're doing something like I don't want I don't want to name anything but they have a name for it it's a unique certification whatever they want to call it you call it road microphone therapy sure right and they say that they do this thing that touches this part and it makes this part relax or makes this part stimulate and the thing they do the road microphone physical therapy it makes people feel better 
that people leave and they feel genuinely better. But the mode and the way that they're describing it and the thing that they're doing, it, there's, there's no science that actually truly backs it up. It's the most pseudoscience explanation. And is it inhibiting or in, whatever it is? So I want to ask your thoughts. Do you think it is ethical or unethical if someone truly doesn't understand or at least has a thought process of what's going on when they're applying force into someone, but that force application is having a positive response, even if they're saying some crazy snake oil description, but statistically has a positive positive response versus a negative response. I don't know if that makes sense, but I'm just thinking. Yeah, so it's it's an inter- it's a great thought, and the problem is everybody, you know, because you're going to see research out there, and the researchers that did it believe wholeheartedly that they their research isn't fatally flawed, that their research is accurate to the best of their abilities. And it might be, you know, but I'm not saying that their abilities are bad. I'm just saying they're probably missing out on some things. And, you know, because I've reviewed a lot of research and, uh, you know, most of the research in the exercise industry specifically, because that's most really what I've researched, is much of it is fatally flawed predominantly because nobody has explored the mechanics extensively enough. And so um, other researchers will agree that their research is valid because of what they know, it's, it's as accurate as they can be, right? Which is, so it's good. And so when they're using those descriptions, they're, they're being as accurate as they know how to be. So it's hard to hold them liable for, you know, like you'd be like, oh, is, is it unethical? You know, but I mean, I think the reality is, is we have to make it known that without understanding mechanics, the research that we have done or are doing in the, you know, excess physiology world, you know, kinesiology and biomechanics and all that is it's pretty shoddy research. And so, um, you know, at best, I mean, at best. And so I think we really need it to, understand that and and start to start teaching people you know mechanics on a, on a higher level <laughs> yeah i think I you're right that, it, yeah yeah, yeah. And, and again like i said i i can't hold anybody liable because it, you know most people are doing what they do they're doing what they know they're 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 in, uh <clears throat> their intentions are good yeah you know and so yeah. and, and a lot of them are seeing good results with people you know there was a great yeah, um so there, Pardon me. Pardon me. There's a great Macmillan right. thing that he explained yeah. to me once. Explained. Oh, your headphones might have kicked off there. The great thing that Macmillan <laughs> talked to me about one time that I thought was interesting, and he talked about a study that he was involved with. And that study, and that study was flawed with its actual testing procedure around exercise. And that blew the rest of the study up because the position they were putting the testing participants in was messed up enough that it wasn't consistent between A, B, C, and D. And it threw off the whole thing. And if it's if he sees that in one controlled scenario, I couldn't imagine how often that happens in other scenarios. Oh, it's 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 you you can't even imagine. Like, I don't know that I've ever read, uh, especially in the physiology world, there um, in biomechanics, any research that doesn't that I haven't found significant flaws. Right. And, and again, not to say you can't get good information from those, but from that research, I mean, you still can, but there, but, but some of the inferences they make 
and they're uh, it, it, it just it, they're just you, you can't make those statements. You know what I mean? But but there are pieces you can get from. You know, and that's the thing is, but you just you have to know how to read it, or you're going to read into it the way everybody else does, or the way the researchers understood it, and they're going to go, oh yeah, this is good because X, Y, and Z. And but it, it goes back to that. I mean, I remember uh, Macmillan. Uh, you know, he uh, Charlie did the. He gave the. Uh, he he made a copy of a research project they did. This was like it was like in the mid '90s or something like that, and it was it was talking about like. All the PNF stretching styles, you know, like uh, you know, active contract, you know, passive, you know, the whole thing, and and it was funny because like in the end, the the, uh, the people doing the research were like, oh, it was a the effect was paradoxical, and you're like, no, no, it, it, you just had a, you just had a thing in your head that you thought was going to happen, and it didn't happen that way, so it seems paradoxical to you. But if you would have just stepped back and looked at the information that you did, you'd realize, oh no, that makes perfect sense. You know, you know what I mean? And it was the whole, you know, it was it was the active contraction uh, heightened, you know. So it was like basically they were testing, um, you know, tension tension in the hamstring, like the amount of EMG activity in the hamstrings. And when they did the passive stretch, and and uh, it, you know, they measured the the yeah you know, the EMG contractile uh, amount of the hamstrings. And then they, they did an active contraction um, of the hip flexors and knee extensors. I think it was knee extensors actually. And and their leg got further. They so they got more range of motion. And um, but the tension in the hamstrings was like the the contraction of the hamstrings was greater. And they were like, oh, that's weird. It should be you know if you're going to get more range of motion, hip flexion and knee hip flexion and knee extension, the tension in the hamstring should be. Um, it should be relaxed to allow you to get there as opposed to like, you know, contracting harder. And, and I was like, no, that's awesome because that means your hips more stable and your knees more stable and it's great. You know, it is just funny. That is awesome. That cool, is Joseph. awesome. Cool. This, Joseph, has this has super helpful. Super I helpful. I want to ask you, what's the final word? What's on fascia? the final word on fascia? So <clears throat> learn about it. Uh, understand what in the body's fascia right like we talked about the bone the bone structure the muscle structure is embedded in fascia it's like different ingredients in different parts right you've got like minerals embedded in the fascia to make it more rigid you've got contractile tissue embedded within the fascia to make it be able to contract and release um, you've got fascia connecting from one tissue to another to create stability and to, um, but again, the, because, e so even if the fascia does, would have a, a contractile component to it, it's not going to be enough to really stabilize and move a joint the way a muscle contraction can, right? Because those guys are the ones that are meant to do that, right? So <clears throat> the reality is if you're using um, a fascial release technique or a, 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 some kind of fascial technique to, <clears throat> to try to make big changes to someone, I think you're barking up the wrong tree. I think you need to understand the muscular system better, get the muscles functioning better and releasing better. Right. And I think that's the big thing is like, when you said, like I have a tight IT band. Is it really a tight IT band or is it the muscles that attach into the fascia lata that are engaging and creating tension in that tissue? And you need to figure out why they're engaging hypertonically. Right. <clears throat> and so, you know, I think understanding the muscular system, but understanding how the fascial system is related to that and related to all the other systems is is imperative. 
<clears throat> for uh, for us to really understand human function. And, and the, the other, I think the, the bottom line is, um, I just got contacted by a group that are doing gain analysis. And one of the things they told me, they were like, well, we want, <clears throat> uh, we're looking to simplify our gain analysis process so we can tell the clients. And like, our, our problem with our whole industry and exercise and rehab and everything is we, everybody's looking for a simple process to try to describe the most complex machine on the planet, right? And, and you got to understand that we live in one of the most complex machines on the planet. I mean, we live in it and we need to pay attention to it. We need to understand it and we need to uh, work with it, negotiate with it, you know, and, um, uh, you know, and get it to, to function the way it's supposed to. And, and not simplify and dumb things down and, and yeah, because yeah, that's where we get in trouble because we try to make a cookie cutter plan and you can't, you know, so I think we just have to understand it's complex. It's going to be complex. Get over it. You know? And so I want to throw this out there, Joe, as like a last thing. And I appreciate, I love your thought process. Uh, Joe has an incredible amount of knowledge, as you can all tell. I mean, he's really just touching the top end of his knowledge. And you have a series of cadaver courses coming up that really takes everything you've learned from mechanics land and everything you've learned from anatomy land and makes it the most pragmatic experience possible for trainers. Do you mind telling everybody a little bit about that? About that? Yeah, so it, it's typically... Uh, um we do like a Friday evening, um, we do like an intro lecture, which is, you know, people always want to miss out on that one, which is the most important part, because it's like the foundation portion to going into the lab. So we do this this intro lecture that, that talks about what we're going to see in the lab and how to like kind of get a description but before we go in. Saturday, we spend the whole day, that'd be like a Friday evening. Saturday, we spend the whole day in the lab. <clears throat> um, and then Sunday, we spend uh, anywhere, usually about a half a day in the gym um, exploring stuff that we looked at in the lab, loading the body, you know, kind of looking at, at um, you know, like, uh, you know, tissue chains, looking at um, how to load certain things to put stress on one area and less stress, more stress on one area, less stress on another area, things like that. So we, we do, so we do that, that lecture portion that's really informative and kind of gets you in the mindset to be in the lab. We spent a full day in the lab looking at muscle attachments, fascia, fascial lines of, uh, the, the fiber alignment in the fascia, the fiber alignment in the muscles, and then we spend a, a you know half a day in the in the gym, like exploring and, and loading and really you know kind of putting things uh, into application, so that it wasn't just a you know a goofy course you went to and saw a bunch of cool stuff and then go home and don't know what to do, you know. <clears throat> well, Brad Thorpe says this course is awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> love Brad. <laughs> well, Joe, thank you so much for your time. It was absolutely a pleasure having you on. I love you. I mean, I respect you professionally. I find you a good friend and I'm just super glad to have you in this little world and all of your knowledge. Thank you. Your knowledge. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks Brandon for having me again. Appreciate it. And it's always a pleasure talking to you. And uh, well, next time I'm in Toronto, we're going to go, go get beers or something. <laughs> T-shirt swap. T-shirt swap. T-shirt swap. T-shirt swap. There we go. <laughs> All right, Joe. Thank you so right, much. We'll talk right, to you Joe, soon, thank man. Thank you so much. Talk, talk to you soon, man. Take care.